Let's go ahead and start with prayer. All heavenly King, the comfort of the Spirit of truth, for ever present and fill us all things, treasure your blessings and give our life. Come and abide in us and cleanse us from every impurity and save our souls a good one. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Before I hand this over to Reader Gregory, I just wanted to, uh, well, say two things, maybe three things, depending if I remember something else. You can take it. Um, There is, has everyone been able, does everyone have a book? Has everyone been able to keep up with the reading? Uh, Does anyone have any specific questions about anything that has been gone over in the past few weeks? If anyone has questions and you're just like, I don't know, but I want to at least ask them, but I don't feel comfortable in here, please email me and we'll try to sit down and find a time. Uh, I know there are some folks who uh, have been kind of in an inquiry state and then would like to be uh, a catechumen. Uh, those uh, next week, I know the, the uh, Croson's, am I cr- saying that correctly, Croson's, uh, will be made catechumens next week. Uh, and I just talked to Nick and I, Max, I know that you have an interest in becoming a catechumen. Uh, if there's others, for example, Richard, uh, if you'll shoot me an email this week uh, so we can sit down and talk uh, so that we can go ahead and get on board. Adrian, I, I know that you've been coming. If you want to at some point, you're welcome to just keep coming to the classes, become a catechumen at some point, just hang out. It's fine. So <laughs> I don't want you to feel left out because I'm going, dit, 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 dit. okay? <laughs> Uh, are there any other questions for me before I hand it over to Reader Gregory? Do you mind if I do a little intro to... Please, yeah. Uh, so, part of what this chapter... Well, who of this... What did you guys get from this chapter? Physical matters a lot. Physical matters a lot. You probably have already gotten this a little bit, Right. Part of the idea of this book and using this book, first, you guys are guinea pigs because this is the first time we've used this book. Uh, I hope it's been helpful. I feel like it does a decent job of kind of marinating you in the broader by trying to keep liturgical life, home life, some history, some theology, but it doesn't like get into the depths too much. For example, talking about the energies of God, which I've brought up in the past. you can tell that we really care about uh, the way worship is, the way things um, are arranged, because we reflect, if you read the Old Testament, I, I had this when I was growing up, you read the Old Testament, there's temple, and they're putting all this stuff in there, there's all this attention to details, and you're kind of like, why don't we do any of that stuff? Because it's just gone. But the church, a lot of that stuff just just doesn't go away it gets christianized as in like christ comes and gives it meaning and then the form follows uh flows from him uh but we don't just get rid of all that stuff because you think like god was like present with his people and the way i grew up god seemed to be really distant the way i grew up specifically we were very specifically like there's no holy the holy spirit was not active in miracles did anyone else grow up like that am i alone Oh, well, I mean, uh, there's uh, some Baptist... I mean, yeah, there's some churches in Oak Ridge that, that are sort of like that. The miracles yeah. are over with. 
Yeah. This is a it's kind of a common low church Protestant thing, actually, that their miracles are suppressed. There's not you're not really gonna see much. Uh, then you'll have the opposite with Pentecostals who are like, No, you're gonna see something. <laughs> right? Like uh, so what orthodoxy, uh, one way I've talked about orthodoxy or come to discover about orthodoxy is that in many ways orthodoxy to me actually has within it all of the pluses. If, if Protestantism is this kind of fractured where like the Presbyterians are really brainy, the charismatic are really kind of soulful, the Baptists are really, let's say, active, <laughs> uh, evangelism, like orthodoxy takes all those strengths and tries to actually keep them all together uh if the roman catholic church is organized or saint like orthodoxy has those things as well right so the challenge for us uh in coming into orthodoxy is being able to see how all of these things hold together uh the tensions and even maybe with our past how we need to let's say upgrade or change our mind a little bit to be able to see parts of scripture or part of the tradition or how God is active in ways that we've never maybe experienced before. And part of the reason why the catechumenate trying to make it months long is so that you actually understand what you're getting into. <clears throat> uh, I know some folks get married quick, uh, but we want to make sure that you know what it is that you are marinating in, who you're coming to get to know, who you are, uh, moving into to become well to make this your home right so very good reader gregory i'll be back okay so uh the the uh, class today is uh based on the chapter that's entitled your body's a temple um icons in the apps the altar uh, divine energies and relics uh, before i plow into this let me ask uh, again, are there any questions on what uh, I covered last last time or what's been covered generally? Right? I, I've heard it said that there are no uh, there are no stupid questions. Uh, one of my colleagues says there, there's no question is stupid until it's asked. <laughs> so, but I but I'd say look, um, I, I always found that um, well, just being a trial lawyer, I always think of the best questions to ask when I'm out of the courtroom and on my way to the airport. So. When you're driving home this evening and you think of questions, you think, oh, wow, I should have asked that. Write it down. Write it down. Bring it up. Email it to me. Email it to Father. And um, if I can't answer it, I'll try to find somebody who can answer it for you and provide it as an answer because some things just don't have good answers because we are not really intended to know every single thing. Right. Um, show of hands, how many of you read this chapter? Read chapter 9. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. <laughs> All right, um, Frederica starts off the chapter talking about icons and the altar and the altar area itself. Does everyone here understand the concept of the altar, how that it is the, um, it is the physical altar as we think of in, in other denominations, but also it's a whole area behind the iconostasis, okay? Um, like we'll, we'll talk about being in the altar or serving on the altar. Uh, it means that we're, we're back uh, behind the iconostasis serving, serving there. Okay, um, and as Lynn said last week, um, this this division uh, of the iconostasis isn't really a, a, a intended as a divider, but rather it, it's a place where heaven and earth come together. It's a place where there's an intersection because we we look at the icons, we look at the saints and the icons, 
and they're and they're with us along with all the people that have stood with us in the past. Um, Tracy Tilson, for instance, you know, of blessed memory, she um, I always think, yeah, she's there, she's there, she's seen along uh, as as are um, all the holy people that have gone before us. Uh, we we can't see them, but but one day. Um, we won't be looking through the glass darkly. We'll see things as they really are, and we'll see what what was there uh, as well. Um, icons in the altar. There was discussion of this. We don't have the same icons in the altar here that that we uh, that, that some churches do. My old parish had what Fredrika described: um, the lined up apostles receiving communion, and then in the back was uh, Judas with his turned sideways with his money bag, only one without a without a halo. But um, again, we. Those were standing among us when we were serving in the altar. Um, the um, the Virgin of the Sign. Uh, who can tell me what the Virgin of the Sign is? What that icon is? Please, yeah. And and what does what does it mean when the hands are extended? What what there? She gives a name for that. Do you recall what that is? Pos- I thought it was a praying. Yeah, yeah. It's called the Orans position or or the position of prayer and from from the Latin. Uh, you know the Latin priests in the traditional mass would say "Oremos," you know, let, let us pray, and and so it's the orans position, uh, which is which is uh, something that 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 many people still do if they're praying, especially their father. Um, and uh, the version of the sign also called uh, the the Platatera, um, and I love this hymn. We don't we don't sing it very much, um, just during the liturgy of Saint Basil the Great. Um, but all creation rejoices in you, O Mary, full of grace, both the angels and all humankind. For you are a temple hallowed and set apart, the glory of the company of angels. And in you God took on flesh and became a little child, though he is our eternal God. He made your womb to be his throne, and he made your body more spacious in the heavens. All creation rejoices in you, O full of grace, Mary, full of grace, glory to you. I've always loved that that expression. Uh, he made you more spacious in the heavens, because uh, her body was containing the uncontainable God. Right, and this plays into uh, a good bit of what we're talking about today, uh, about the 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 nature of uh, the, the the nature of, of, of materiality, the nature of God in all things. Um, I want to just make an added point here before I, I, I go on to the next point, plunge into the next issue, uh, about that hymn. And, and it's something that you'll see when you've been Orthodox for a while, and you've been here for a good while. Um, you'll, you'll, you'll draw connections between some of these hymns and various events because they always accompany one another. Um, and it, 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 it evokes a certain... A, a certain uh, um, memory in you and a certain um, understanding and feeling of of, 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 um, of of this experience that comes back when you hear this hear these songs like last summer uh, I went with father to the all-american council where there were representatives from all the uh, the diocese most of the parishes across the United States and and when the bishop um, when the bishops were coming in um, I was with the choir and we were singing the, the song from the rising of the sun to the setting the rising of the setting. That's always a song that accompanies a bishop. He's being escorted from the front door, where he's given a bouquet of flowers and bread and salt, and he's brought in, and um, and then uh, and then he's vested in, in the midst of everyone. But um, the the way that uh, the, the the music of the church plays uh, an enormous part 
in our worship because it, it's the concept of lex orandi, lex credendi, is people pray so they believe. We pray our faith, we sing our faith, and it's one of the really important reasons to come to vigil, if you can, if at all, if, you, if, if, if it's all possible for you to be here for vigil, come to it, because the vigil services are soaked in the Orthodox faith. Um, matins. About the only time you hear, hear the canons of matins being, being chanted here are during the communion. Um, during the communion hymn, we'll chant the matins verses also. But those matin, matins verses, they're amazing. And um, they're, they're very, uh, they're really delightfully written, sometimes humorous, the way that the monks will, will kind of uh, put in little acrostics there where uh, uh, the, the various words line up with a meaning that you would, would miss otherwise unless you're really paying attention to it. But uh, the, the, um, the, the meaning of our faith is often contained in these, in these verses. Um, so we come to the issue of the, uh, the honoring of relics. Um, how many of you were familiar with relics before you came here to the Orthodox Church? Some of you? Okay. Um, what? You, you were in the, in the Roman Catholic Church, I believe? Okay. And uh, do the Anglicans have, have relics commonly? Anglo-Catholics do, yeah. Um, I had never heard of them, really, until I went to college and heard about how that uh, some some uh, the, the warriors uh, in the Crusades would have hollowed out hilts on their swords so they could keep relics inside of them. And I thought, that's, that's bizarre. That's, that's weird. Why would you do that? And, and, uh, and it was only later when I realized, hey, they still do that. Um, and I, I thought, this is, a, this is, this is something that, that's, that's very foreign. And, and yes, uh, it seems almost strange or maybe a little bit uh, even superstitious to Westerners. But the important point is, is that it's always been a part of our faith. Um, we have we have references to the uh, to uh, the honoring of relics by the church back to the very beginning, and uh, those of you uh, you've all read the read the chapter. What was the first example of of, um, of 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 the of the efficacy of a relic in the Bible? Who can answer that? Yes, sir. That's a good one. That's an axe, but that's there, there was something earlier than that. Yes, sir. Elijah, yeah, yeah, you've got a you've got a dead body, and you toss it on his bones, and he springs to life uh, because his 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 bones have this this residual holiness, this power that um, that that could animate even a even a, a person that was dead. Um, so, I think part of the problem, and Frederica points this out, part of the problem that that uh, that those of us who grew up Protestant had with this, and and I, I remember hearing our pastor really, really denouncing the flesh. The flesh is bad. The flesh, you have to follow the spirit and not the flesh. Because he's following what, what St. Paul had said in, in, um, in, uh, in, in the fourth chapter of John, um, speaking of God being spirit. But, but this has been substantially misconstrued by a lot of the church over the years, by, by many of the Protestants, who, who, who say, okay, well, if, if, um, if God is spirit and the flesh is bad, then we need to just forget about the flesh, like the stuff we're made of and the stuff of the world, and instead focus on on the spirit, the things you can't see, and and that's and that's really that that's that's a wrong-headed interpretation that goes that goes uh, in 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 the in the wrong direction. I think it, like many things that the Protestants were doing, um, it had good intentions, but but 
because they weren't founded in good doctrine, they didn't have the church fathers with them, they didn't have anything as a reference point. Um, again, as I've said before, they were like gardeners that would go into a garden uh, to try to weed, but they didn't know what the good plants look like, and so they're cutting down the weeds and they're cutting down the plants at the same time. They're cutting down um, accretions of, of, um, of the Middle Ages, but they're also cutting down some good doctrine in the course of it, just out of, out of lack of knowledge. Um, where, where actually the, the, the opposite of, the, of flesh is not spirit, it's, 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 it's a good and holy body. Right, a good and holy body, and um, and and as and as the, the scripture tells us, we we know that we know that God is with us always. As as the psalmist said in one thirty eight, Psalm one thirty eight, whither shall I go from thy spirit, and from thy presence whither shall I flee? If I go up into heaven, thou art there; if I go down into Hades, thou art present there. If I take up my wings toward the dawn. And make mine abode in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand guide me, and thy right, right hand shall hold me. So God is God is everywhere. God is 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 of course in the world, and um, and and the and the point that came up in this and 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 uh, th- this would have been my response back um, if you had brought this up up to me say thirty years ago. I'd have, I said, well, why is it not pantheism? Why why aren't you saying okay, well, God is everywhere. God made the tree, God's in the tree, so I'll worship the tree, right? Okay, but we're not saying just that God is in nature and God is in the world, but God is um, exceeds everything. Uh, he, he is in the world, and then, uh, but created in the world, made the world, is outside of the world. Um, it's, it's the, um, I think it's the, the, the cataphotic con- concept, the idea that, that um, you, you can you, you use negatives to describe God. That, that it, not just God is love, but God is... You can't say God is love because God is greater than all love. He, he, he uh, you can't even wrap your mind around uh, the 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 immensity and the grandeur and the greatness of God. And so we say that that God is in all things. Um, how many of you know the Trisagion prayer? Um, so you know the, the the first prayer that starts starts to it, it's a prayer to the Holy Spirit. We said it just a minute ago uh, before we began this class, and there there are various versions. Of it, the one that I I, I want to say I grew up with was uh, in the Antiochian Church because my first church was was uh, was was Middle Eastern. Um, o heavenly King, O Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who art in all places and fillest all things, who art in all places and fillest all things. Um, the version that we typically use here is we say, who is everywhere present and fillest all things. Not just the possibility of being everywhere, but actually physically there. There's no place you can go to get away from God. Just like there's no place you can go to get away from the love of God. God's love is always there. Um, it, it may be a comforting light, or it can be a burning fire, depending on, on how we perceive it. All right, But, but we, can't, we can't get away from God. God is in all things. He, he's more expansive than all of all, all of the creation, um, and then yet He's outside of it. He's 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 in all things, but but yet He's closer to us than our very breath. Um, all of you, all of you. He knows how many hairs you have on your head. Some of us have more than others, but you know. How many hairs we have in our beards? Okay, you just yeah. There's there's always uh, how many seconds we have to live. There's there's plenty of examples on it. 
he knows us all that 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 intimately. He knows he knows us and he loves us and he loves us more than um, than than anyone possibly could. Um, so the 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 goal is, it, as I said, the opposite of flesh is not spirit, but a good and holy body. And so we have an ongoing um, an, an ongoing struggle, uh, a fight to to tame and control the passions. Okay, and and these are it it it, it kind of becomes clearest to us during the time of Great Lent when we talk about the need to run the course of the fast, to complete the race. Um, we accept suffering voluntarily when we're battling the passions. And, and it's not to go back and, and pay for bad stuff we've done in the past. It's not like we're trying to somehow erase the guilt of what we've done in the past, but instead, it, it's, it's looking forward. We're paying forward. We're, we're, getting, we're getting ready for the challenges uh, that, that lie ahead, like, like fasting is a good example. Like a why I I've heard people people say before. Well, you know, fasting. No, um, nobody goes to hell over a hot dog, okay? Um, but my old spiritual father before I came here says, well, no, you won't go to hell for a hot dog, but you will if you won't control your passions. If you let your passions take over and control everything, and um, and he he liked to make the make the point out the point this out that um, if if um, if our kids can't be taught to avoid meat on a Friday, how are they going to avoid what might go on in the backseat of a car one, one evening? It just uh, we, we want to control those passions, and it's an ongoing struggle. It's a, tr- a struggle that continues um, throughout our lives, and we pray that God will give, the, give us the fortitude to complete this race, um, to continue the course of the fast and the struggle to trample underfoot the invisible demons that wage war against us. Those are words that you'll hear a lot during, during uh, Great Lent. Um, I'll, I'll point out. Um, let's let's see, uh, Daniel. We have one Roman Catholic in the in the room, yes. Um, and uh, I was just pointing out the you know the, the concept of Western Christianity of, of offering one's own suffering for somebody else mm-hmm. um, to alleviate the suffering of another. Um, it, it, it's 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 not it's not a part of Orthodoxy, but um, it is a part of Christianity, but not but not of the Orthodox thought. Uh, instead, the struggling that we that we suffer is to overcome our own passions, and that's and that's one distinction that I point out. So, um, God made the world um, beautiful, and He made it pleasurable, uh, and and He gave us an appreciation for beauty, and I think beauty is one of the one of the great things that that distinguishes our faith and uh, really leaps off the page at at you in orthodoxy and. I've actually known of people who were who were hardened atheists, who came to the faith because of beauty, because there's no other explanation for it. Why would we have beauty? Why do we have taste buds? <laughs> like why do we, why do we, why can we enjoy things that taste good? It's because God is the author. That God is the author of of pleasure and and of joy. Um, God creates the. The wonders and the pleasures of the world. All things good come down from God. Um, the devil can't make anything good. All the devil can do is corrupt it. He can take, he can take uh, sex, you know, the, the act between a man and a woman in love that has the, the ability for men and women to become co-creators in life. And he can pervert it and he can turn it into something bad, right? Uh, 
God gives us food, the devil gives us gluttony, okay, and, and so on. So um, God gives us this appreciation for beauty. Um, Frederica points out uh, in, in her book, uh, makes a reference to on the incarnation in St. Athanasius. And uh, I, I know that some of you were uh, with, uh, with, with Miles uh, when we were studying the incarnation together and studying St. Athanasius together. Um, and I would, I would uh, recommend that book to you. How many of you have read that book, have, have spent time with it? Um, that is an excellent book to get your hands on, especially this time of the year as we enter into the fast, enter into the nativity fast. It's not that long. It's not that hard to read. If you're an audiobook junkie like I am, it's available on Audible, and you can listen to it when you're driving down the road. And it's a lot better than listening to some of the news that uh, you'll listen to now that'll make you want to drive your car off the road. <laughs> okay, but on the incarnation, it, it's you're 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 like you're marinating yourself in the in in one of the fathers of the church, and um, and and in this and then it's where he directly he directly. Uh, opposes and confronts the Platonists and the Gnostics who thought it was absurd that God would come to us as a man, but he should have come to us as something more grandiose. But God wasn't coming to us to make a grand display. He was coming to, uh, to save us, to heal and to teach uh, fallen humanity. Um, I know I said this last time around, I'm sorry to repeat myself, but God, as Father Stephen said, God didn't come to, to, to make sick people well he came to make dead people alive he came to um, he didn't come to uh, to make automatons he came to make children he, he wants us uh, to be part of us because he he loves us so so much so how does this relate to the issue of relics and um, you know basically you'd ask yourself okay so what who cares why do we need them? Why are they important? And I think part of it goes back to the to the concept of materiality that that Father Daniel referenced a moment ago. Um, and as I noted earlier, the Protestant upbringing that most of us ex experienced had really confused understanding of the association um, and the inextricable link between between uh, the material things and the spirit. And again, it, the law of prayer is the law of faith. If you want to know what we believe. Look at how we pray and how we worship, and that's evident in our worship. Like uh, as as an evangelical, when I was baptized as a teenager, uh, I was taught that baptism had nothing to do with our salvation, other than to represent an inward conversion. Um, but and and some and some denominations have abandoned baptism altogether, like the Salvation Army. They don't baptize; they're non-sacramental completely. Um, and then we have the the other extreme denominations that treat uh, baptism as a ritual that can be repeated as often as one wishes. Like, go to the Holy Land, go to the Jordan, get baptized again in the Jordan. Um, but as Orthodox, we pay attention to the physical as well as the spiritual. We believe that it has a real efficacy to it. It, it isn't just a spiritual thing, it's a physical thing. So if you get baptized in the Orthodox Church, and by, let me ask, how many of you are, are, are catechumens? You haven't been baptized before, you plan to be baptized here. Okay. Well, I was baptized in the Baptist church a long time ago. Okay, and and that's something to talk to Father about because there are different views on on whether whether baptism is necessary for someone who's baptized in a non-liturgical church. But that that's a question for Father to to address with you. But um, anybody who's baptized in the Orthodox Church is going to have no question about whether they're actually baptized or not, because you're going to get wet. Okay. 
And um, in, in some of the Protestant denominations, uh, it was changed from an immersion to a little pouring of water to maybe a little smear, smearing a little bit of moisture on the forehead. But no, in, in, um, in, um, in, in, in baptism, we really baptize. You're triple immersed in the water, and you know that you've, you've, been, uh, you, you've, been, you've been soaked. You've been soaked in, in God. You've, you've, you've experienced death, and you've risen a new life in Christ. And it's not just a funny uh, little, little thing to say. No, it's happened. It's really happened. And, uh, and then before you can even form uh, an initial sinful thought, um, the, the chrism, the seal and the gift of the Holy Spirit is placed on you. Uh, and, and, and again, the physicality is, is there. Um, and it, some people would say that orthodoxy is an, is an assault on the senses. And, and it's not just visual beauty, but it's the, it's the, uh, it's the music, too, like I mentioned earlier. Uh, an Orthodox choir will work tirelessly to make sure that the music is is beautiful, um, but then but then the the the, the sense of sound as uh, as part of the material world goes even further than just the music. Like again, I was at the All American Council last summer, and uh, there were a lot of vendors there, vendors selling all kinds of church and liturgical um, uh, products and items there. Uh, many of them really really beautiful, handcrafted, very expensive, and I saw priests. Who is coming over to uh, to get a new sensor for his church? Beautiful sensor, and um, and he didn't make his decision solely by how it looked. But he picked it up, and he swung it a few times so he could hear those twelve bells on it, representing the twelve apostles, and the beautiful heavenly sound of those bells. And he had other people near him to uh, ask, uh, do, "Do you like this?" And, and they all agreed that it was beautiful because it, it needed to look and sound beautiful. To be used in the in the church, and um, in the sense of smell, okay, that's an obvious one. Also, uh, our use of incense, our use of incense in the church. You know, in the ancient world, frankincense was one of the only products that was worth more than its weight in gold, right? More than its weight in gold, and um, and and it's central to our worship. I can only think of one service, one service, in all the Orthodox services. Where we don't use incense, and that's the service of Compline. Uh, it, incense is, doesn't have to be used then, but other services we always use incense. Um, even if I'm even if I'm going into the church and I'm I'm praying matins, just the priest and I together, we still have we still use incense. Okay, um, but also the smell of the of the beeswax candles and the candles and the incense they're they're made by monks who pray constantly. They pray constantly while they're making. Making this, um, and it and it's to lead to the beauty in the in the church. Um, what about our, our sense of, of taste? Okay, that's, that's that's pretty obvious. Also, as we sing during Great Lent, taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, the, the the bread that we use has to taste good. The wine has to taste good also, because it's being offered for a holy purpose, offered for a holy purpose, and and so the taste is 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 part of it, and um, and our sense of touch also part of our worship. You see, as Orthodox, we're not afraid to touch things. Okay? We kiss things. Um, it's one of the first unusual experiences that I had when I went to an Orthodox church for the first time. Uh, here I was a, a long-time Protestant, and I'm going in, and, and it's the end of the service. And one of the people there who knew that I was an Orthodox, he said, well, this is where we go up to the front, and the priest has a cross, and you kiss the cross, and you kiss his hand. And I thought, kiss his hand? I've never kissed a guy's hand before. <laughs> this is a, this is kind of a strange thing. And then later, as I learned 
Why? Okay, now, oh, of course you're going to kiss his hand. It's the hand that's holding the, the body and the blood of Christ. Yes, sir? There's actually, uh, in the Bible, too, it, it mentions the holy, greet each other with a holy kiss. Well, it does. It does. It's weird, but, you know, it, it, it goes back. It's, it's in the Bible, and also it's... Uh, in Eastern Orthodoxy came from is like the East. Sure, and yeah. Kissing is just it's common, you know. Yeah. It's, it's how people greet. Well, their and grandmothers you, or people they know, you know. So. Well, and you actually grab my next point. Uh, we because we kiss things. Uh, you you know you get into Orthodox Church, you're going to get kissed. Now, like I, I, my first parish was a Middle Eastern parish, and even more, you know, guys come up. They they don't just greet you with a handshake or pull you in bear hug and. Kiss you on both sides, and and it and it's it's the way we do things, um, and and it it can take some getting used to, and because we're not afraid of physicality, we're not afraid of the physical world. Um, I've noticed in many other denominations, uh, a lot of ministers are even afraid to touch you. Like you you go up you go up for uh, for, for a blessing. Like uh, when I go with my wife to the Catholic Church, she receives communion, and I go up for a blessing, and um, and. Back back when I twenty years ago, the priest would always lay his hand on your head. Now it rarely happens. It's like there people are afraid to touch. Now some priests do, but we're not afraid to touch here. We kiss things. We venerate icons. And uh, uh, Frederica said before she said it uh, not in this book, but other places. We'd even kiss the chalice or kiss the censer if we could. But you you don't want to do that. <laughs> you might. Uh, it's kind of like in the Christmas story, you know, putting your tongue on the on the on the flagpole. Just, uh, people will tell stories about you afterwards. Um, so, in in um in in the in the Orthodox mindset, we're 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 not as concerned about whether something is adequate. And uh, you know, I've got a cup here. Like, you know, you, you might look at a cup and you might say, okay, well. How much stuff do I have to put in this to make it adequate? Like, what all do I have to do in order for this Eucharist to be a valid Eucharist? What words do I have to say? Uh, how much water do I have to have in order to have a valid baptism? Can we measure it? One ounce, two ounces? But the Orthodox don't worry about whether it's adequate, whether there's enough water. They want to know, is it full and overflowing onto the floor? Can you put more in it? Because if you can, we're going to. More is always more. I tell people, it'd be fine to just say, Blessed Virgin Mary, right? It's true. Or just Virgin Mary. But <laughs> we say, our all-holy, most pure, immaculate Virgin Mary and Mother of God. I mean, we, we, we lay on more and more adjectives to it because we want it We want to be full and overflowing. And... Um, one book that I'd, I would I would commend to you on this uh, is uh, is Alexander Schmemann. Um Alexander, actually, my my old spiritual father, my old church. He's 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 now reposed in the Lord, but he he knew Alexander Schmemann and and uh, the book of Water and of Spirit and for the Life of the World. Those are two books that I'd really recommend. Um, Water and Spirit is about baptism. For the Life of the World is about Holy Communion. And for the life of the world was the book that I read, and and when I read that book, that's when I really realized, yep, this truly is the body and the blood of Christ that we receive in Holy Communion, and it uh, it gave me an idea of an understanding of physicality that I didn't have before. So, um, again, why do we care? We've got God. God loves us. Jesus died for our sins. Why? Why do we care? 
about having having uh, relics. Um, but but here again before us is another outlet of God's grace and abundant mercy. Why would we not want that? Why would we not want to have as much and more than we than we possibly could? If we have a source of healing, uh, of increase of faith, uh, great mercy, why would we why would we deprive ourselves of that? And um, one and 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 what happens if we if we don't? Um, there, there's a there's a concept that uh, of desacralization. It's like a loss of the holy, a loss of the sense of the holy that has has been um, is, is been an issue. Uh, this is probably more of a task for a sociologist to talk about than, than a theologian, and certainly uh, something that a lawyer shouldn't try to get too far into. But um, it, it's as if there's been a creeping Protestantization in the in the uh, in the Church of, of the West. Uh, like and how do we treat the holy gifts? Like, it, it, how many of you have been to a divine liturgy of the pre-sanctified gifts? You've been to that before? I know you have miles, but um, it, it, it's where during Great Lent we we can't say the Eucharist during the weekdays of Great Lent, but but God does not deprive of His body and blood. So what we have is we have the reserve sacrament, the reserve body and blood of Christ consecrated on the Sunday before, and on on a Wednesday night during the week. We'll, we'll bring the holy gifts out and we'll receive communion from them. And when they're brought through the church, um, most people will, will make a full prostration. You put your face to the ground because we believe, yeah, this is truly, this truly is Jesus' body and blood and we're going to honor it as such. And so we, we, uh, we, we recognize that. Where um, in, in, in much of the church, much of the Western church, um, this, this sense of the sacred is... is, is, is um, is, is no longer there or is no longer really focused upon and um, and this this affects a lot of things like like how how do we maintain ourselves how do we uh, how do we act when we're in church do we do we go to church dress as if we're going to go meet the, the Lord of the universe or like we're going to a soccer game afterwards you know uh, if uh, y- yes sir sorry for interrupting I had kind of a question about that um, basically, God calls us also to humility. So, how do you balance, on one hand, preparing to meet the King of the Universe, sure. but on the other hand, wanting to be humble and not like you know ostentatious? Sure, that sort of thing? sure. Well, and, it, and it's a question of whether it really is humility you're seeking to achieve, or it's or if it's a matter of just being able to get from uh, church to the soccer practice without having to go home first. Uh, like like I. Uh, you, you, you want to see a real sense of, the humi- of humility. You'll you'll see it in in uh, in, in very traditional churches where uh, people are careful to cover their arms, men and women. Uh, women will often often cover their heads as as a sign of humility. Um, and uh, people uh, people uh, view it as something different from just day to day day to day life. So I I think that's that's kind of what you're what you're talking about there. So um, it's uh, the, these are all part of how we how we worship, how we praise, how we believe. Okay, and 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 if um, if our if our worship doesn't reflect this belief, then then what do we really have? I mean, it, it's I, I I heard a statistic back. Um, this is probably 
25 years ago about about how that among female Anglican priests in England, 75% of them no longer believed in the resurrection of Christ. 75%. As opposed to only 25% of male priests in England who no longer believed in the central event of all human history. Okay? And... Um, I think this this coincides with a with a loss of the sense of the sacred, the uh, the, the 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 tearing down of, of things that are sacred, or saying that we don't really need this any longer, and this is something that orthodoxy has has, has maintained as part of as part of who we are, um, because if God isn't really on the altar, um, what point is there in making the church beautiful, or having beautiful music, or even coming there at all? If if the only goal is to hear a good sermon. You can hear really good sermons just by turning on the radio. But no, we come here together because we, we, we need God. Uh, God made us. There, there's, a, there's a God-sized chasm in all of us. It's like the Grand Canyon. People throw all kinds of things in it. They try to fill it, they try to fill it with possessions, with education, with sex, with, with learning, everything else. But only God will fill, will fill that, and it's only here that, that we get that. And... Um, so we, we want to come face to face with the Lord of all creation, and only the church can offer that. And um, so this carries over in, into other ways that we worship. Like one thing is, is contempt for the body. And we've, we've seen this a lot in recent years, like the attempt to alter the body or treating it as little more than trash after, after life is, is passed from it. Um, like... Uh, Nowadays, not even wanting to cremate a body, but rather uh, composting it because it's now a needless source of carbon dioxide. Or, um, you know, the current trends in the funeral practice, as I as I, I know that you've noticed. Um, nowadays, you you often don't even see funerals anymore, do you? You see like a celebration of life, because I, I've I've heard from funeral directors that that in a funeral the body's a downer. It depresses people to see a body there. So let's keep the body out of it. Let's not have a body. Let's have a celebration of life. Let's have a party. Um, let's have a wine tasting, which is what they commonly do in California um, is at, a, at a time of a funeral. Uh, orthodoxy is different. Okay, the heterodox bodies have uh, come around to what the enlightened society wants, uh, an enlightened society that's created its own God after its own image and its own likeness and its own desires. But but we've not. So like after death, what happens? Well, um, you've got a body that was that was baptized, and it was chrismated, and for years and years and years, this person's received the body and blood of Christ, received holy anointing, has um, has has been blessed repeatedly by by priests. Now, the last thing you would do with that body at the time of death is to put it in an oven and burn it, right? And it's a pagan practice. We don't do that. We we um, we we don't we don't burn our dead. Instead, uh, after death, we treat the body in a loving manner. It's washed and it's dressed. Traditionally, we'll dress the body in a in a in a baptismal garment. Okay, that that's the common practice in a lot of churches. And then um, and that's brought into the church in a, in a coffin. You know, coffins are are commonly called reliquaries in the Orthodox Church because it contains relics, right? Beautifully decorated and brought into the church and and in many traditional churches uh, like the Russian the local Russian Orthodox Church I've seen this many times bring the body into the church the the day before the funeral and it will it will the body will stay there in the church 
all night while while people come in and they and they read the psalms they keep a constant vigil reading the psalms at the side of the coffin uh, which is which is what we do during uh, during uh, great and holy week we keep vigil at the coffin and, and read the psalms uh, with the body uh, and then finally it uh, the parishioners will come in for the funeral and what's the last thing that we do before um, before we close the coffin and, and we depart to take uh, the uh, the coffin out for burial well everybody will come up and they'll and they'll line up and they'll give the body a final kiss a final kiss a final uh, expression of love for this body that uh, is going to rise from the dead okay that 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 is that um, has, 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 has been has been um, blessed and treated as holy okay so um, what time has it gotten to okay um, all right how many of you completed your homework last time around I'm not gonna ask any I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands on that one but I, I would ask for uh, I would ask for this, and again I can't assign homework, but Father Daniel can. So, um, <laughs> assign homework. It's fine. What's that? Assign away. Well, and and th- this one's easy. Okay, um, it, it, it's getting cold out. We have clear nights, and and what I what I say to do is go out one night and just look up at the stars. Look up at the stars and and realize that that you're looking at infinity. You're you're looking at at, at something that is so great and expansive and never-ending that we can't even wrap our minds around it. And God created it, and God is in it, and God is everywhere present. He's also outside of it because he made it. He's greater than even uh, the greatest thing that we can't put our mind around and, and, and think about that. And then think also how that when we look at the, at the other extreme, uh, Adams represents this too small particles that we can't even fathom the size of that are constantly in motion just as the universe is constantly in motion and 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 god didn't just wind this up and make it run uh, it, it it's his energy that causes it to 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 be that causes its existence it's all it's here because god is willing it to be here constantly and and uh i'd ask you just to think on on that uh, and uh let's see and and I'd ask you when you return to a return a verdict of guilty. Wait, no, this is the wrong outline. So, all right, thank you very much. Does anyone have any questions or? How does a church get the relics that they have? If we have a box up here. How do you come into possession of those things? I can. Uh, what are they exactly? Right <laughs> oh, yeah. I had a question too. Okay. Um, Where you you were starting? So go ahead. Well, they're they're preserved. They're handed down, uh, handed down uh, through the church. In fact, uh, I, I I think uh, I mean, for a long time the Russian church didn't have its own relics. It had to get relics from from Greece and from the Middle East. Uh, and and in the last uh, hundred years or so, Greece, uh, Russia has become more of a source of relics than than uh, than the rest of the world. But um, some of the relics that you find. I believe actually even came from the Catholic Church at one point, well, because they they, yeah, they have a, they have like Latin have labels on them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and I and I've heard I've heard this before from a priest that goes uh, that goes around the churches displaying relics. Uh, he has probably the largest collection of relics that I've seen. He's a Greek Orthodox priest, and he said the good number of them were were actually were actually like fished out of the garbage. They were being discarded. 
when at, at some point the Catholic Church really ab- ab- abandoned relics and, and didn't p- place as much emphasis on them. And uh, it, it just depends a good on number which, of those. It just depends on what, which church you're going to. Correct. Because there's definitely still, if you read the Catechism of the Roman Church, they're going to say relics. The question is whether or not the praxis was actually present in the local parish or not. Right. And, and, then, and then just like in the Orthodox Church, the Catholic Church will, uh, will install relics in the altar. Like they'll have uh, oftentimes like, like a door on the altar on the back of it, this reliquary where they put, they put the relics uh, for, for that church. Yes, sir. Um, sorry, how do you how do we balance um, respect for the body with the sort of procurement of relics? Like the only way that comes to my mind is like you basically exhume some holy person mm-hmm. and you sort of gather what's left and sort of put it in a jar kind of thing where you keep it together. But um, my impression is it's sort of like. Well, you can have his pinky finger, and you can have his ear, and you can, and you start like dismembering seems disrespectful. And I'm curious how how do we deal with that issue? Like, how do you how do you respect the body, and then at the same time divide it up? Well, sense? well, it depends depends on why you're doing it. If you're doing it out of out of love, out of devotion to God, out of an effort to to uh, to strengthen and expand the faith of the faithful. Then, then it's it's being used for a good and holy purpose that that I think the owner of that skeleton would would greatly appreciate. But yes, we we do we do exhume the bodies of, of saintly people occasionally, and 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 often find that they're in the same state twenty years after their death that they were in when they were buried, right? Uh, and and that in and of itself doesn't doesn't uh, mean that that person is a saint, but it is one of the indicators. That, that can be taken into account. So do you then cut that person up into pieces to give out? Or? You could take a portion of hair. Okay. You could take a portion of the clothing. You could take, uh, you know, there's, there's a, uh, why am I answering this? You're the, you're the professional <laughs> here. <laughs> it all depends on the, uh, it depends on the relics and where they're coming from and how they are discovered and what state they're in. There's different situations where I believe a Manathos they have like the arm of Chrysostom, like the forearm of Chrysostom. Uh, all of the details about how that exactly got to that place, I don't really know. But I don't see that it's necessarily, uh, it's not just dividing up with some kind of mouse or the intent is to be able to share veneration. So I don't really see it being a, a negative thing or disrespect for the body that is being venerated. Yeah, like a at my old parish, uh, there was the largest uh, relic of the of the True Cross um, anywhere in North and South America. It was a good sized piece uh, that that had uh, that had papers that uh, established here's the legal term the chain of custody back to the First Crusade. So um, you know, and um, that's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Question. Yes. Is, is there any orthodox advice that's uh, practical orthodox advice on controlling your passions? Tons. Yeah. We'll, we'll hit that at some point in a class. If you want, you can email me and I can start sending you material. Okay. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll tell you right off that a close connection with your spiritual father is, is, the, mo- is the most important thing. It can give you guidance on how to pray, how to fast, what to read, and, and also keep you from going too far. Because 
uh, that can that can be a real problem also like uh, especially if like you're fasting and you're fasting to the point that you think oh wow I really did great at this aren't I a good Christian like okay now the pride's got you right so you just undo, you just undid everything you did or you accomplished so far so spiritual father is uh, is is uh, is is the best advice there any other questions like I said you always think of the best question on the way to the airport so you know just uh if, if you come up with any yes Daniel do you um, permit um, what's the word like instead of a burial of a body like you sort of burn to ashes and inter ashes that kind the Orthodox of Church does not bless cremations unless it's like an absolute necessity okay. situation I, I think like I, Japan Japan requires yeah. it by law mm-hmm. interesting huh. so there's an Orthodox Church uh, in Japan and they have to abide by the law so they basically make, because of that situation, a lot of that has to do with the fact that they don't have space. Right, yeah. So, there, I don't know what the history in the West is, why it became more that way, but the Orthodox Church has been at least more adamant about that we don't do cremation. Because you can't really do a funeral in the Orthodox mind without a body present. That doesn't mean that you can't do a memorial service, etc. Like... People are lost at sea. <laughs> there are situations where things happen. Is it the same or separate from the Roman church previously prohibited it because people are doing it as a sign of disrespect for the resurrection? They're saying, because I don't believe there's any resurrection, I'm going to have my body burned. And it was prohibited for that reason and later lifted. Is that the same? Or I don't know, I don't know okay. why the Roman church did X, Y, or Z. No, no, well, the, the, well the, 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 cat, yeah, the catechism of the Roman Catholic Church no, I mean, sa- says that you can't, you can't cremate if, if the intention is, is an objection to the resurrection. But in the Orthodox Church, we th- there's a lot that we do with that body before we bury it. Like uh, the, the the priest will will, uh, will read an absolution prayer over it. Uh, there'll there'll be oil and, and ashes placed in the forehead. We can stop saying it and just say the person. Yeah. Because the the reality is in the church there's an understanding that there there's some reality of our like we're not. You have this idea of like your spirit is like inside you like driving you around or something that's not the way that the church understands or like the ghost in the machine or something like that there is something indelibly about your body that is who you a part of who you are and part of uh the waiting period for the general resurrection and the the general judgment at the end is that we are reunited with our bodies because we don't have them so the orthodox church it's not about uh, it is just basically an affirmation of the resurrection. Yes, I'm an organ donor on my driver's license. Do I like not need to be an organ donor anymore? No, that's fine. That's fine. Okay. That's a good question. It's a yeah, practical. Yeah. It's like if we're talking about this, then like, um, yes. What's the orthodox opinion on reincarnation? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> resurrection. <laughs> Not opinion, dogma. That, that's that's one of those like that's yeah, just that's, that's just no. You're not going to come back as a bug or a horse or go to the next level or whatever. You are who you are, for better or for worse. <laughs> yes. Okay. Any last questions?
it's okay if we end early because I have a wedding here in about an hour and a half. Yeah, I have a <laughs> wedding practice to go to. <laughs> Lord, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. Mine eyes have seen the salvation which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, light to the light and the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people, Israel. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.